We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Here we are, friends. 2020 Masters DraftKings picks and preview. If you want to play in the best tournament on DraftKings, here's what you do. You smash the like button for the video. In the comment section, you tell me who's going to win this year's Masters. And then in the description of this video, you will find a link to the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League. $15 to play, three max entry, no Rake, there are 5,000 spots. It's already like 45% filled. So I'd recommend you go reserve your spot right now if you want to get in that. Play in the Millionaire Maker too. I might even have some giveaways coming around. So the more you can retweet this show, share it around, like it, comment, smash likes, tune into the other shows, we'll be all good to go. My betting preview will be out Monday afternoon with Jeff Feinberg. Wednesday noon Eastern on Mayo Media Network YouTube channel will be the live chat. You have any questions about the Masters, about your bets, about your lineups, or just in general, tune in. I will also be releasing my final picks on that day too. So please subscribe to Mayo Media Network, smash all the likes on the videos, and we are good to go. Also, rate and review the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. This time of year really goes a long way. If you've never reviewed the show or rated the show on Apple Podcasts, please go do that right now. It takes like three seconds, and I would greatly appreciate it. Also, things I would greatly appreciate, following the contributors to this show. First up, from awesomeo.com, as at DFS on the Twitter machines, it's Ben Raza. What is happening? What's up, man? Yeah, we made it. It's been uh, quite a year. 
thought this would be in April, but you know what? We'll take it in November. I'm very, very excited to talk some Masters. From the Rick Run Good YouTube channel, at Rick Run Good on Twitter from CBS Sports, and a contributor to Golf Digest, it is Rick Gaiman, my man. What is happening? Pat, it's here. It's time. Now we get back-to-back Masters. Should we just record this and run the same thing back in April, or are we doing it all again in April? Uh, I need the extra clicks and the extra content, so I'm assuming we're just going to run it all back again. All right, that's good. (laughs) I want to remind everyone out there, if you are looking for the best tools on the planet for your DraftKings lineup, for your bets, or if you just enjoy researching golf, get a membership to FantasyNational.com right now, okay? You go to FantasyNational.com slash Mayo, you get yourself the discount, which you need. Everyone who's good uses Fantasy National. You want to be good, you use Fantasy National too, okay? Let's talk Masters. Augusta, it's in November. First up, Ben. Does this, how can I word this properly? What are you doing with the weather? Are we treating this like it's completely different? It's completely the same. Right now, it looks like it's going to be like around 60 degrees and kind of kind of wet throughout the course of the week. So, yeah, we were talking out just a little before the show about this. I don't really remember any masters that kind of fit that criteria. We've seen some difficult ones. Uh, certainly like the will it comes to mind, but uh, I don't know exactly what we do with this. I'm not going to overhaul it. You know, obviously seen this course a million times i do think it could be some nasty conditions if you go out early and and the split tees and whatnot but i'm gonna play it pretty straight up and maybe just fine tweak uh some things at the end rick the last two times that we've seen it play difficult shorter hitters ended up winning the willet year with that ton of wind it was very difficult in 2016 zach johnson won it one over par in 2009 when he didn't go at any of the par fives and two Uh, i don't think they were going to see a repeat of that ever again just because the guys hit the ball so far now but do you think it leans more to that type of year or just like your average minus 10 type masters yeah, I think it would be your uh, average minus 10 types Masters. I think they really dodged a bullet on the fact that this wasn't uh, or doesn't look like it's going to be cold and wet. Warm and wet, certainly much better. The mornings will be a bit more brisk than these guys are, usual, are used to on the PGA Tour. Uh, the wet conditions, presumably helping some of the bombers out and, and some of the guys who uh, we'll talk about, we'll save that for maybe the top of the, the, t- the 10 K range. But, uh, yeah, I think that they really dodged a bullet here. The one thing that we do get at Augusta national, sometimes in November is you get a northerly wind, which, um, you know, some of the anecdotes from some of the players who have played Augusta national in November is, uh, it plays a lot longer on holes like one in 18, right? I mean, tiger famously said he hit driver three wood into number one and driver three wood into number 18 the one time he played it in november so uh we'll see how that shakes out probably plays a little bit longer the wet conditions i think are certainly going to benefit the bombers if you're going to adjust your stat modeling at all which you can do on fantasy national i would set my parameters to fit more longer irons than i normally would i think that's about the only adjustments i'm going to make because i weight driving distance pretty heavily to begin with, as we've seen that strokes gained off the tee at Augusta National, along with course history. Like, course history is something that we kind of always scoff at. I mean, you can point to one guy like, oh, look at his great course history. Of course he played well. But you always forget the guy that shot like 20 over, although he had made the cut every single year at that course. But Augusta National is the one place where it really does seem to matter. Like, there's a reason that Fred Couples continues to make cuts at like 900 years old. It's just a course, I think, more than any... uh, you benefit from playing it in these conditions. You, you see it and guys who are veterans, they know where to hit it. They know where to leave it. Uh, it's a, I don't have to call it a second shot course, but there's just a lot of navigation through it. So 
there's something to that. The one other side to that, though, it has, I don't want to call it a WGC, but this is not a normal cut. So you are going to see course history where a lot of guys make the cut every year at the Masters because to not, you really need to struggle when it's 10 shots of the lead, top 50, but there's only 90-something guys in the field. Yeah, 94 players in the field this year. There was 95. Joaquin Neiman had to withdraw earlier, uh, or sorry, late last week with a positive test for COVID-19. That sucks for him because not, well, I mean, missing the Masters is one thing. He'll be in the Masters next time around, obviously, but he won the Greenbrier, the first event of the 2019 swing season, which made him the first actual qualifier for the masters that didn't have an automatic invite coming through so he waited 18 months to play in his first masters as a professional the long wait and now he has to wait another six months or so no daniel berger in the field despite being a top 20 player in the world no victor hovland in the field despite being a top 25 player in the world rankings because this field locked at the end of march which really kind of throws a wrench into some guys that would have got a lot of DraftKings buzz rick going through because you know, they're riding hot form. You've seen them surge in the rankings. That was that was years ago, basically, at this point. It, it literally feels like the Masters haven't been played in a decade. So we, we get <laughs> it to it now does. that it, it's kind of difficult to figure out because like, even all of the top-end players, we've seen like spatterings of them playing, but it's not like these guys are consistently on tour going out every single week since the U.S. Open. Yeah, for sure. It's been, it's the, the scheduling changes for this year have been awkward for everybody. Uh, you know, some guys have taken extra precautions before Augusta national to try to avoid the positive COVID test. We interviewed Ricky Fowler a couple of days ago. He mentioned that, uh, he normally, he wants to play the week before he wants to play Houston, but with the fact that it was a new course and he didn't want to take any unnecessary risk, basically leaving his house, uh, to, to avoid any potential exposure to COVID-19 and, and something that happened to a positive test. Like it happened to to Joaquin Neiman. Yeah, the schedule is completely different. So guys are trying to find their form for Augusta National at their home course or on their simulator or uh, without many rounds under their belt this season. And you remember, Pat, it was it's this goes back to the restart where it was a sprint. It was an absolute sprint to the playoffs. There were guys who played many more weeks in a row than they would have liked. Now they're taking the time off and they're trying to re- uh, ramp back up, rev it back up for the biggest event of the year. It's just awkward. It's different for everyone in a year of you know an event with so much tradition this is the most untraditional year 94 players in the field the top 50 in ties will make the cut as will any player within 10 strokes of the lead so as ben pointed out that making the cut at augusta national is a lot easier than you would presumably think uh i believe last year was almost 70 percent of the players ended up making the cut always right for the to make the cut parlay bets which i will release on wednesday actually won it last year which was fantastic news after missing it by one guy the previous two years thanks jason duffner uh for bogeying the par five two years ago and sergio for taking a 13 on hole number 15 Three years ago, that's always a good time. But this year, I'm feeling good about to, the, to make the cut parlays. Ben, we got Emiliano Grio shot tracker rejigging. Like it said, he ended up bogeying the hole. Then it like got updated to a bird or to a par. All of a sudden, he makes the cut. You win the parlay. But can we just give a special shout out to the Masters app and how good it is? Oh, it's amazing. It is shot tracker on steroids. Uh, it's everything that it should be every week. They have continuously been cutting edge so i cannot wait for that it's as good as it gets coverage wise all right let's do this let's jump into the pricing at the very top in the ten thousand dollar level on DraftKings for the 2020 masters we have the king of girth himself big bodied <laughs> bryson the most expensive player eleven thousand two 
$1,500. He's followed by Justin Thomas at 10-7, Rom at 10-5, Rory at 10-2, and Dustin Johnson at $10,000. Rick, when you're building your teams, as Ben pointed out, you can almost treat this a little bit like a WGC, where there's going to be like 10 guys at the very bottom that you're just not going to play. There's no reason to play any of the old guys. They're not going to win. You want to at least have some win equity in all six of your lineup spots. If you're going to compete in the Millie Maker in a giant contest, you're going to have to have the winner. You're probably going to need second place, and you're going to need that sneaky guy at a lower price who ends up finishing inside the top 15 or makes a hole in one on 16 on Sunday to get those bonus points. That's how this usually works when you look at the teams do you think that it's logical to put two guys in the ten thousand dollar area into your lineup uh, i do and i think it's a lot easier uh, certainly in in major championships in millimaker type situations to do it because the pricing is a little bit softer you're looking at you know bryson eleven thousand two hundred. if the, and he's what eight to one to win the tournament if this was uh you know a regular tour stop he might be pushing closer to twelve thousand dollars i mean it's just it, there's it with the depth of field the, how soft the pricing uh tends to be you can usually pile in two of these guys and still get six golfers who are uh, uh, eating up enough of the win equity to, to keep you live in a lot of these big GPPs. So I, I think so. Obviously, very early, we'll start to build uh, lineups here in the next couple of days and start to figure out the permutations and the combinations of everything. But uh, I certainly think that is the way to play it and just go grab two big boys and see what happens. Ben, is Bryson going to suffer from Patrick Reed syndrome, Ian Poulter syndrome, where people enough people just don't like him that they're not going to play him? Because I'm just looking at this and... Play Bryson. That's my advice. So it's interesting. I, he certainly has that factor for him, but I think he also has, I don't know what we can coin it or name it, but he has the factor that for months since he started this experiment, it was for Augusta and everybody has now start to see, wow, maybe this is working. Um, I, I think that the results, if the results were bad, I think people would be interested in him because he's been gearing up for this but they haven't been bad. He won the U S open. And I think just the way he's doing it, everybody's been waiting and penciled this in. So I think Bryson's going to be really popular because the, even the casuals, all they know about Bryson is, Oh, this is the guy who's about to tear Augusta apart. I don't know about that in particular, only because he's so expensive and you can get someone like Dustin Johnson, who is the best player in the world right now for what? $1,200 cheaper. I think that's just where you can play Rom and Dustin or Justin Thomas or even Rory for that matter. Or you can build one of these balance lineups where it's like Dustin Johnson, Patrick Cantley, Tony Finau, and you don't have to go diving to like the very low 7,000, high 6,000. You might get one guy from down there, but you can still attack like the upper sevens and lower eights too. Using Bryson because he's so expensive it takes a lot of different builds out of play, and I think that may keep ownership off of him. I'm not sure, because I'm going to be using him everywhere, uh, but I don't think he's going to be quite as... I don't think he's going to be the most popular guy, put it that way. See, I do, personally. I think he'll be the most popular play, and I get it. I, I do. For me, I'm more inclined to talk uh, to go with Rory. what Rick mentioned. Well, yeah, Rory, <laughs> but more Rom, too. I think that Rom sets up well if it is a little colder and, and wet, uh, he can just lean on the driving. He's been unbelievable too. So I'm not, I'll, I'll take the savings to those guys if I'm getting ownership discount as well. Yeah. Rick, what are you doing here? Cause I I'm trying out, I, I told you guys before we came on the air that I have three futures bets on the masters. I have Bryson at 40 to one. I have Justin Thomas at 20 to one and Justin Rose at 75 to one is probably not going to win. It was a terrible bet at the time. I think he's even longer odds at this point, but can I make lineups with Bryson and Justin Thomas and work it out from there? 
if you can, I'd love it. Uh, we'd have to see what the what the rest of that lineup looks like. But I, I mean, listen, the the wetter the better for for Bryson. I think it's. I, I think it's very clear he's going to carry it further than basically everybody. So he's going to have the advantage there. And then also remember this, um, as Bryson is going through this transformation, he's playing a lot of new events. He's hitting shots. He's not used to hitting. He's hitting a lot of these half wedge, these three quarter wedge shots into greens that really, that can be troublesome at firm, fast golf courses. Because think about it. If you, if you have a full wedge shot into a green, you can get a lot more spin on it. You can control it. You can, you can kind of land it uh, where you want. Uh, if you're not able to get that spin on it on firm, fast greens, it can be troublesome. If those greens are wet, if they are receptive, um, if it's a little bit more friendly towards those shots, Bryson could absolutely tear this thing apart. We're seeing some of the lines that he might take on like 13 and what he might be able to do to number two. I mean, um, there, there's only so much defense to Augusta national. It's a pretty straightforward course. If he's going to be, if he's going to do what he's been telling us that he's going to do, uh, I think, I think everybody else is in big trouble. If I put in Justin Thomas and Bryson as my first two players in my lineup, I have $7,000 per player left over. I think I can make that work. When we get to the 6K level, maybe we can figure that out. Uh, if you're looking for ownership projections, fantasynational.com slash mayo to get your discount. Uh, we'll be updating live uh, to the moment as the week goes along. You're probably going to want to look at them on Wednesday evening once most people have built their lineups, used the lineup generator, started all of their guys, and you can see who the most popular picks are going to be. But looking at it right now, and obviously this is very early, it does appear, Ben, like uh, the top three in ownership are Finau, Dustin Johnson, and John Rom. It's interesting. Again, and that that speaks to what you were talking about. Maybe the appeal of that balanced lineup where you could theoretically have all three of those guys in some builds uh, will overtake what Bryson to me, who's the most polarizing on the entire slate. So it's something to keep an eye on. I mean, Justin Thomas and Rory to me somehow are quote, I don't want to say they're sneaky, but I think they may be the lowest owned of this if we want to call them the big five and I mean, you're not going to need a lot to talk me into them long-term. I, I was higher on them than the other three. What do we do with Rory here? Because he has been by far the worst of these four guys since the tour restarted back in June. Like he hasn't, has there been an actual event where Rory has had a chance to win since the restart? Uh, well, I right. mean, he had his chances uh, to win. I would say no, honestly, uh, like at travelers and a couple others, he was, he was lurking, but did he ever make that move where it was like, Oh, here, Rory's going to win. I would say, no, uh, you could look at it both ways as bad as he's been, hasn't been like, you know, the strokes gain data, he's still going to gain off the tee every time the putter actually has come around lately. It's been really the irons that have been hit or miss. So, uh, yes, it's concerning. He's not playing nearly as good as these other guys, but I mean, it's still Rory in my mind. Yeah, I, there's just the one thing with Rory, obviously he's going for the career grand slam. If he can get the Masters, he'll own all four majors, Rick. But congressional U.S. Open when no one could play that course. It was cold, it was wet, and Rory went out and beat the shit out of everyone that week. That just, that yeah, just lingers I, in my mind. I, I think that you're both correct. I think that, um, of course, you know, Rory, Rory flies his ball through the air, right? He's a bomber who does not necessarily use the ground. Like, uh, JT rolls it more, right? He doesn't hit as, as much of a, of a high shot as Rory does. Uh, but to, to Ben's point, it, it's the iron game. I mean, he's been pedestrian, literally tour average since the tour restart on approach. That's the one thing that's setting him apart. Now I could argue that Rory's floor is very, very high because he's been a tour average iron player. The stat and the 
category that is probably more important than any other stat. Uh, he's been tour average and he still continues to find himself, you know, top 15, top 20, never really in contention, but he's not really, you know, uh, killing all of your lineup. So I could argue Rory's got one of the highest floors. If he can flip the switch, which I'm not as optimistic about uh, in that category, because it's been now what 15 measured starts, something like that since the restart for Rory, um, he's going to be very dangerous. I'm less optimistic about that because it's, it's, it's not about conditions. It's, it's more about the shape of his game. So do you think that high ball flight hitters actually do have a huge advantage in the wet conditions at the masters this year? Um, I, I think that they do in general, right? This is always the argument when you get when you get wet conditions. You, you hear bombers, but there's two different types of bombers. There's guys that uh, carry it 98% of their total distance, and there's guys that carry it 93% of their total distance. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but it ends up being a half a club or a full club for a lot of these guys on the PGA Tour when it comes to their approach shots. Now, there are a couple of situations at Augusta National where, you know, number two specifically, number 15, uh, it, it would almost be advantageous to be like back a little bit on top of the hill on a flat lie than trying to fly it over everything get it down now you're on a downhill lie where the ball might be below your feet I mean there's a couple of holes there that I think uh, not necessarily flying it as far is as critical but yes I, I do think the guys that are hitting it further in the air in wet conditions are going to have uh, a half a club or a club advantage if you're looking for the leaders in carry distance off the tee so far at least during the swing season uh, in 2020 or I guess the 2020 one season on tour Bryson is number one his average yeah. carry 345 yards which is just outrageous <laughs> that's 30 yards more than the guy in second place who is Cameron Smith of all people who's played well uh I actually the last Masters like I said it feels like a decade ago but the 2019 Masters played pretty well uh Rory McIlroy number three Cameron Champ number four and then a bunch of guys who just aren't in the Masters the, the next closest guy would actually be Matthew Wolf it does seem Ben like if I'm gonna use Bryson although he is a debutant at Augusta that you just pair Matthew Wolf with Bryson. They always play well at the same tournaments. Yeah. And there's something to that. Uh, certainly we we've seen the correlation now. I, I think part of it is going to depend on how hard it plays. And listen, Wolf's performance in the majors has, has put a major dent into the narrative that he's just going to take apart the three M and the rocket mortgage year after year. And that's all he can do. We know he can do more than that now, uh, but pairing him and, and Bryson obviously makes sense because their games correlate in a lot of ways. So I will look to do that. I, I still think really this week more than any, you really want to decide how you want to build up top and, and go from there. If you're going to do an incremental build, that's one thing. If you are going to double up north of 10K, that is a completely different permutation uh, and it changes the whole whole look of your lineups. If we look back at last year in terms of carry distance off the tee, Rick, uh, Bryson's number one, uh, not by quite as much, but Ryan Brim is number two. I don't think he got the invite to the Masters no, this year, but in, in this field, it's Bryson, Wolf, Rory, Dustin, Champ, Tommy Fleetwood, John Rahm, Jason Kokrak, Brooks, Tony Finau, Gary Woodland, Bubba Watson. Like, those are guys that historically play. I mean, Kokrak's never played before, and neither is Wolf, but historically, those are the guys that play well at the Masters. I, I think I love all those guys. Yeah. I mean, we'll get, we'll get down to Jason Kokrak, obviously uh, coming in off of a recent win sneaky long. You mentioned that. I mean, he's a lot longer than people realize, especially with the way that he carries it. And I think that's going to be a big key this week. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of those names, right? Bubba is awesome. Uh, Woodland has been a shell of himself, but he's there's, hurt. There he's, are... he's, he's hurt. You can't use Woodland, he... right? 
he, he no, and he, and he tried to play through it. It was terrible. He's got like a torn labrum in his hip or something like that. He tried to play through it. It was absolutely bad. Uh, I, I have no desire whatsoever to play Gary Woodland, but the rest of those guys, yeah, they seem great. They're playing well. They have a lot of great course history. I mean, even uh, I, what Jason Day was on that list, guys lurking all over the place. I, I think there's a, a list of names that you just rattled off, Pat, that I'd be happy to find in my lineups. So the rest of the guys on that list inside the top 50 from last year in carrying it off the tee, Jason Day is number 32. Who else do we got here? Justin Thomas was number 37. Hideki, 39. Cantley, Xander, Adam Scott, Paul Casey, Sergio, and Justin Rose. Again, guys who have immaculate course history or former winners at this event. So when we really rattle it down, Ben, it does seem like the name that hasn't been popping up on these lists is like John Rahm, which is weird. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what's causing that per se. Rahm is, listen, I, I know, again, this is why, just to go back, I think Bryson is taking a lot of the storylines out of it. Like, John Rahm has been unbelievable. He is just dominating tee to green. Off the tee is automatic. Everything else is good. He can put, he, he really has no leaks in his game. So uh, I'm not going to say he's going to go under the radar because he's not. But at the same time, he doesn't have that big time narrative. He's not going for the career grand slam. He's not Bryson. He's just playing really good golf. And uh, I'm going to certainly look to him this week for obvious reasons. So if we're going to say there's one lock guy from above 10K to put into your lineups, I'm going to go with Bryson. Rick, who are you going to go with? Man, um, I think it's still Bryson. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm happy to pay it. It's, it's. I don't know if I can get a second guy in there, but I think it's, I think it's Bryson as well. Ben, I mean, I want to say Rory, but I, say I will it. say, I will say Rom. <laughs> Have you ever gone into a Masters or any major where you haven't just loaded up on Rory? So any major, I can say yes because there's certain U.S. Opens where I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do this. But Masters, no, I, I cannot remember truly going into a master's not starting with Rory 9k range and I think this is where it gets really interesting when we talk about like pivot plays and where to save yourself on ownership I do think from like 85 to 10,000 you're going to find some low owned guys because everyone is gravitating to it towards the same sort of name so the first up Xander Shoffley everyone's going to use Xander Shoffley because everyone always uses Xander Shoffley and it's not like he's bad so he's, he's pretty good price at 9,800 bucks Brooks Cantley, Morikawa at 95, Hatton at 94, Webb, Reed, Tiger, and Bubba Watson. We'll save Tiger for here in a second, but I don't think that anyone, I mean, when I say anyone, I'm talking about like single digit, like five, six, seven percent owned in the millionaire maker. Morikawa and Brooks really seem to me, Rick, like the guys that everyone is avoiding here. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Now, what's it, what's so interesting about Morikawa is, uh, you know, what we talked about for so long, what, 24 cuts in a row to start his career, second to only Tiger Woods. He's been a lot more volatile since then. I'd argue that's okay. It's good. It, you know, we're getting the winning upside with now three victories under his belt in his PGA Tour career. Uh, we're getting a couple more missed cuts. But, like, I'm, I like what I'm seeing from him, which is it seems like he's taking a lot more chances. He's willing to embrace a missed cut as opposed to just grinding, you know, Thursday and Friday to keep the streak going. I actually think the streak ending for him is arguably a good thing. Um, so I, I like that a lot. And then Brooks Kepka, you know, uh, much less optimistic on. The, the, the problem that I have with Brooks is it's going to be week to week, and he's told us that, you know, 
know, he has told us sometimes he wakes up, the knee feels good. Uh, he's told us that, hey, it hurts when I walk downhill. Like that seems problematic. I mean, he's just, he's banking on a quarter zone shot right now. Uh, his weapon, which is his driver, hasn't really been working for him. He's been struggling off the tee. I mean, I just, I, I think there's so many issues with Brooks Kepka. He's deservedly going to be a, a single digit ownership guy. Uh, Morikawa, much more optimistic about. Uh, what do you make, Ben, of people factoring in the results of Houston? Obviously, we're recording this while the Houston Open is still going on. Guys like Dustin and Brooks are still playing the weekend. Molinari is back. Do you think that there's going to be any leftover like, oh, these guys played well. Brooks didn't play well in Houston. Therefore, I can't use him. Like, would you use Houston as a barometer of anything? Would I, I wouldn't know, but I think people will. Uh, the narrative, especially with guys that we haven't seen recently, it's just like, oh, right, this is where their game is at based on four arbitrary rounds in Houston. So I think that's kind of a leak for people. If, if for some reason Brooks storms on Sunday and he closes with a, a huge round at Houston, I do think that would have a direct impact on his master's ownership. So where do you think you're going to be going in the $9,000 area? Just by the, the Pat Mayo logic of sentiment rating. And when I look at the ownership percentages, this kind of bears it out a little bit. Xander, Cantlay, Bubba, I project to be the three highest owned. I don't like this range at all. Um, I, I, there's some interesting plays, I, I guess, from an ownership perspective. I would much rather pay two north of these guys and double up. Patrick Reed is where I would go because I, I think there's a lot of questions about how the course plays. And he is on the short list for me of guys that I back blindly because he can play in a lot of different conditions. If it's brutally hard, I don't worry that I have Reed. If it plays normal, I don't worry that I have Reed. So I, I like having multiple outs within my guys. Some of these other players, I'm like, okay, I like them in this scenario. But if it's, say, a little colder than we expected, now I have a serious problem. That's a tough thing to get right because we also don't know how they're going to play. So for me, I'd look to read at 92, Bubba at 9K. Yeah, it's going to be hard to get away from Bubba just based on, A, the stats, which have been immaculate outside of the putting over the past three months or so. He's a two-time winner. It does seem, Rick, like he's really gearing up to make an actual run at winning another green jacket. Uh, I hate to say it. I'm not a bubble guy. He's been phenomenal. I, I think he sets up, obviously he sets up for places one at twice, but you're talking about the T to green game in which he's gained, you know, 11 strokes from T to green at the U S open, another 11 at the CJ cup, another eight at the Zozo championship. And what I like about him, and this was actually kudos to my colleague, Mark Immelman. I mean, Augusta national, um, it, it lends itself well to a defensive putter. That is not like a Ricky Fowler who notoriously rams his ball by the cup, two and a half feet at Augusta national that rolls out to five, six, seven feet. A defensive putter like Bubba, who tries to drip it over the edge of the cup, uh, is is certainly valuable. And that shows because he's got two green jackets in the closet, which actually I think it's only one technically green jacket that he has, but um, he's got two trophies at least. But it, it is something where he is trending in the right direction right now, Pat, where uh, the game from tee to green is sharp. Those the, the greens with their giant undulation at Augusta National, he knows well. Uh, he His putting style uh, is terrible on the PGA Tour, but lends itself well to Augusta National. When Patrick Reed won the Masters, Ben, how much money did you win? A uh, couple hundred thousand. <laughs> when you made those teams, and you talk about this a lot, that you try to correlate skill sets, who are the other types of players on that team? Or is it at the Masters when you're trying to correlate your lineup? That kind of goes out the window. Because if it's going to be like cold and wet, like why not just a bunch of British dudes? Like Why not Hatton and Fleetwood and those type of guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that's a thing. I, when I talk about correlating skill sets, one of the things, though, that I, I like to caution people about, 
I think it's more applicable as you work down. Like if you have a team that's all those guys and you like Bryson, you can still use Bryson doesn't need a skill set. He's that good. Same thing with Rom, in my opinion, guys like that. When you work towards the bottom, you don't want to me an extreme bomber who's not a great player with an extreme putter who's not a great player. Like that's really tough to get them both right. So with weather like this, I have no problem doing that. I, I know back in 2018 with with Reed, I, I used some guy, you know, Ricky was on that team and some of the other uh, guys that I think can handle it around the green. That's really what I focused on. You know, Augusta's got some weird around the green scrambling type things. And I think it's always a factor, even though it's pretty easy when the wind doesn't blow. Rick, do you think you're going to be more likely to play the chalkier dudes and the higher upside of the driving and the potential Eagle skill set for that DraftKings scoring of Xander and Cantley? But two guys both playing pretty well right now, although Xander seems like he may have peaked and was riding a hot putter and now he's coming back down a little bit. It's not going to prevent anyone from using him because people always use him. Yeah. But would you rather take those two guys or maybe take a chance on Hatton or Webb or Reed, guys that people just will not be using? So I, I would rather take Hatton, Webb, and Reed. I, I agree with uh, Ben's sentiments about Patrick Reed. He has so many outs. There's a lot of different ways he can win. Uh, if we are trying to guess uh, condition-wise, I mean, Terrell Hatton's won, what, three times in his last 15 starts. He's been phenomenal. He's not the longest hitter on the PGA Tour. There's also another weird uh, aspect to all of this. It could be wet in Augusta, and they have that um, that sub-air system underneath they could just pump that all night and, and the golf course won't even know there's rain on it which makes me a little bit concerned that they just make it play like it's an april masters no matter what this place basically has a bubble on it the way that they're able to to really dictate the conditions and then webb simpson if i knew you know if if i was going to get a really clean weather report this week which it doesn't look like i am um he, he is literally the best player on the PGA tour from fairway through green. Like that is not an exaggeration. It's just off the tee, his lack of distance. Uh, it really puts him behind the eight ball. Now Augusta national is a shorter course. It's, it's not terribly wrong, long. And I think he can get himself around there. So to answer your question, Pat, those three at the bottom uh, with, with seemingly lower ownership are much more appealing to me than, than yeah. Xander's hot putter, which is probably going to cool off if it hasn't already. And then, you know, can't lay who, you know, has out, outside of the three rounds at Shriners and his win, um, I don't know, has been all over the place in the restart. I don't really want to admit this, but I was thinking about locking in Brooks. <laughs> okay, why? In Houston, and I know I wouldn't pay attention to it, uh, his, you hit on it before. His irons have been really good, uh, basically, since the end of the summer. Uh, the putting has always been pretty good. The around the green stuff is fine. It's his driving that's been the problem. He has been smacking the shit out of the ball. In Houston, that's been the key to it. He's not playing like as we record this, he's not playing great by any means, but he is top 10 in the field in driving. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you want me to uh, date this, but yes, he is gaining strokes off the tee in Houston right now. Uh, the iron game is struggling a little bit, but yeah, I mean, if he can put it all together, right? I mean, no one doubts the uh, the name value, the upside from Brooks Kepka. I mean, if he if his name wasn't Brooks Kepka, I don't know what his price would be. It wouldn't be ninety seven hundred. Uh, we're we're basically a year removed from the ferocious Brooks Kepka that we know who would dominate major championships. There's certainly signs there. Probably not enough signs for me to to lock button him. <laughs> lock button's probably too big on this one. But Ben, like, if you're gonna get Brooks, who for whatever reason plays better in majors than he does in every other tournament, it just 
facts at this point when you look at his results. That if he is comfortable off the tee, and realistically, when you look at his irons from Houston, it was just a really bad round one. He's actually been in the positives rounds two and rounds three. Obviously, we're releasing this on a Saturday. We don't know what the end result is going to be. I will date it. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. Uh, I, but I just like to see the positive signs off the tee. If that's the case, and I get like a 6% owned Brooks, like how do I not do that? So that's, that's the part for me. Uh, there's been a ton of majors where I've come in and I haven't liked Brooks. It's all a product of ownership though. And, and right now Rick brings up, there, there are red flags all over the place with Brooks's game. But when you're talking about, you only need, say you play 20 lineups. If you're going to get leverage on two, you know, 10% of your lineups going to Brooks, I can live with that because the upside to me is he's wearing a green jacket. The downside is he withdraws or he's hurt and he's completely <laughs> useless. If I have to get, you know, if I have to allocate one third of my lineups to get over. Well, that's a serious, serious question. I don't think I would get there, but if you're telling me Brooks is between five and 10% this week, I will even probably get over. And it's not because I think he's going to play well. It's because when I get it right, I really get paid off with a guy like Brooks. Well, that also harkens back to how you had all that success with Reed when he won, right? Exactly. Same, same concept. It's not when, when that happened, it wasn't like I went into that tournament saying, Oh, Patrick Reed's going to win the green jacket. My thought was that if he happens to win it, not a lot of people are going to go there. And the times I get that wrong, yes, they will outweigh the times I get it right. But when I get it right, I will have a real path to do damage. So he broke my way there. Well, I just to kind of add on to that, like he Brooks Morikawa Hatton, realistically, unless we'll talk about Tiger here in a minute, but those three guys in the $9,000 level, like if you're going to use one, like if you're going to go 10,000, 9,000 to start your team, it does feel like those should be the guys. If you're going to use Bryson or DJ or the higher owned players, just because they're going to be single digit ownership. And if they win, which they definitely can win, we know that I like Webb the least of that bunch, but still, I, I know that he could feasibly win. I think at Augusta, it's a lot lower for him than in other tournaments, especially being on bent, uh, not being a par 70 short course where that's kind of where Webb Simpson makes his makes all of his money, gets all of his world rankings. But Brooks, like, I don't know if we were just to judge out win equity here, Ben, where would Brooks rank? If you just said the only result that matters is wins. Don't worry about second. Don't worry about third. Don't worry about fourth. Just winning. Where would Brooks rank in this field in the power ranks of guys expected to win? Yeah, see, that's where he would gain. Uh, he would jump a lot of players. Like, to me, Brooks is more likely to win the event than Xander. I think almost everyone would disagree with that. Uh, now, if you take median results, make the cut, top 20s, all of that would go to steadier players. I think Brooks honestly could be more live to win even than Rory at this point. Uh, I think the upside is there. It's just the downside is extreme. And of course, we have to weigh that in. I, I don't ever weigh in the downside. Maybe that's why I don't win a lot when it comes to these DraftKings <laughs> lineups, Rick. But where would you rank Brooks? Because I, I don't care. Like, if I'm not winning and contending to win these tournaments in my lineup, I don't care if Brooks is 17 over or withdraws at that point. It sucks. I'm going to lose my money. But if he doesn't win, I'm probably going to lose my money anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I um I, I was with Ben until he said maybe maybe Brooks has more win equity than Rory does. I that, that's was a little of, much. That was <laughs> too hot. I got I carried think he away. Got, he got very excited there. Uh, he I think he's probably fifth or sixth. I think it's a valid point. I mean, Bryson probably has more win equity. John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, and then maybe Brooks. Right? I agree, especially for the guys in the nine K range. Uh, Brooks Brooks's win equity is higher than 
then Webb's, then Patrick Reed's, then Xander's. I mean, I, 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 you have to kind of weigh that. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if it's, I, I actually kind of like him in, in outright situations for the, for the same thought process, Pat, which is second place or second to last doesn't really matter now. Second, uh, second place in your, in your Millie maker lineup with Brooks is probably going to be good, but there's, there's so much downside to him, uh, that, that it's concerning, but yes, he absolutely has uh, much more win equity than his peers in his price range. Fading Xander and Cantley is just going to go so horrible for me. I can feel it right now. <laughs> yeah. I do that every week so I can speak from experience. It never goes well ever. <laughs> Let's have the talk. Tiger Woods, the defending champion is $9,100. We just talked about guys that are coming in super low owned. No one is going to be lower owned. It seems at least right now in like the top 30 players in this field, than Tiger Eldrick Woods, Rick, there isn't a way you can play him. Is there? Not without understanding it's a complete dart throw. I mean, there's there's zero evidence. Um, I, I get the fact that Augusta National is is the place where course history matters the most, and there's nobody better than Tiger in this field for managing Augusta National. But we are now in a full, basically a full year. The calendar year of 2020 has been very bad for Tiger in a lot of different areas. He has uh, been hemorrhaging strokes off the tee. He's been bleeding strokes on the green. He's been practicing with a longer putter because he's not getting enough practice time in on these greens. Uh, it is a lot of holes to plug heading into your title defense at Augusta National. We are a long way removed from the version of Tiger that um, I know it would be kind of like sacrilegious to say he got lucky and won the 2019 Masters, but like Molinari going in the like things fell very right for him. He, he played the back nine beautifully. I, I mean, it's just the, the path to him winning this golf tournament is so incredibly narrow that if you are rostering him, um, you are understanding you are taking a dart throw at most. Going into last year's Masters, Ben, Tiger's result in the calendar year of 2019. He was 20th at the Farmers, 15th at the Genesis, 10th at WGC Mexico. He had the nice run to the Elite Eight at the match play. He was 30th at the Players' Championship, and then he won. But you could see, like... Over eight strokes gained on approach. He was an average of like five per event. Uh, even the driving wasn't all that bad, not like it is right now. This year, in the calendar year of 2020, he opened it with a very nice ninth at the Farmers. Since, 68th at the Genesis, 40th at Memorial, 37th at the PGA Championship, 58th at the Northern Trust, 50th at the BMW, missed the cut at the U.S. Open, and 72nd at the Zozo. Like, his game just seems broken. Yeah, I mean, I'm, this is going to be, this will be like a viral clip when he wins again. I think he's more likely to miss the cut than win. I really do. Like I, the combination right now of his off the tee game and the putting, I, I've never seen him putt like this. He is lost on the greens. Rick talked about it. I, of course, can you blindly back him? I mean, it's Tiger, but you're, it's an opportunity cost. You're sacrificing Bubba, Reed, Hatton types. This is not, oh, well, he's my last man in and he can make a cut at Augusta. Like he needs to perform for your lineups. Uh, it's a big opportunity cost to play Tiger. What would be the proper price for him this week, do you think, that would actually entice you to play him? Uh, where's Sandy Lyle? Um, oh my God. Oh man. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, if he was like 7,300 or something and, and you could look to, like, Tiger obviously can easily make a cut and, and, and maybe flirt with the top 20 i just don't know how you pay nor if he's north of 85 i really don't know any scenario where i'd get to him 
Rick, what do you think the proper price for Tiger is? I think like 73, 74. I could be I, – I think that there's enough magic beans in Tiger that being at Augusta, almost sort of the case that we spelled out for Brooks, although there's signs of life with Brooks, and just he's a better player at this point of his career, that if you price Tiger in the low sevens, I think I could get on board with that. But in 91, it's tough. Yeah, I was uh, eyeing between uh, – I was putting him below Gary Woodland, who's 7,300, and above Danny Willett, who's 7,000. So somewhere in that range would account for uh, the, the the loss of, of strokes, basically, in, in, in similar categories. He has, a, obviously, the great course history. Um, I, I think that's much more fair. But you're right. I mean, you're talking about the lead-in form, Pat, from, from last year compared to this year. Uh, leading the, – the, the seven events leading into the Masters last year, he gained strokes putting in – in six of them, the stroke was great. He's now flipped to the opposite. He's lost strokes putting in six of his last seven measured events. I mean, it's just a completely, completely different version of him right now and certainly not worth the 90-whatever-he-is. Yeah, 9,100. It's a bit, a bit stiff. Rather just play Bubba Watson, like Ben pointed out. Let's go to the $8,000 level. At the very top, we got Adam Scott, then Tony Finau, Hideki Fleetwood Wolf, Jason Day, Sergio, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Paul Casey. This is going to be, I actually, I don't even know if this is going to be a hot take or not, Ben, but if we're just going to play good course history at the Masters, I'd rather play Spieth over Tiger. And I don't want to play Spieth. So would I, <laughs> uh, which is crazy because Spieth has been, I've been shorting Spieth in every way possible uh, and it's not working and I'm not going to play Spieth, but I agree with that. This is an interesting range. I don't think like the nines had me to me a bigger like range. You had some obvious choices and then you had some lower on. This is a little more muddied. I don't see a ton of guys that jump off the page in either direction. Finau is the obvious choice. I think the public will go to him. Uh, my first thought is, especially if we're going to bump long irons, I'll probably go to Decky. I know he hasn't been playing great, but Hideki's that kind of player. I think he can benefit from the wet conditions as well. So that would be my first impression up top. Fleetwood is impossible. I'm not even going to pretend to, unless Augusta moves to Europe, I don't know how you play him because he only is good there anymore. I don't understand. But these would be the proper type of conditions for Tommy Fleetwood though, wouldn't they? They would, but how he goes to Europe and his irons are fixed. And then I say, great, his irons are fixed. And then he comes back over and he is just completely broken on the approach game. We've seen it time and time again this year. I want to be interested, but I don't know how you overcome that. If we just look at pure iron strokes gained past 24 rounds from the last three months, Rick, overall in this field, uh, Finau is seventh in the field. Wolf is sixth in the field and no one else is inside the top 10. Decky is the next closest at 13th. Everyone else is like kind of bad with their irons in this region. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a couple of obvious, a uh, couple of obvious plays. You know, uh, Ben mentioned Tony Finau. I think he's going to be incredibly popular. I would like to in- inject uh, Jason Day into this conversation. Now he's he's playing well uh, in Houston right now. I actually hope he doesn't win this because you know his results over the past couple of months uh, they they certainly look a lot worse on paper than they are. I mean, he withdrew from the CJ Cup on Sunday when he was in the top ten. Uh, the Tita Green game has has looked sharp at times. And if we want to talk about course history, here's a guy who has four top 10 finishes in his last nine trips to Augusta. I mean, um, I'm not uh, in the same way. I'm not a big Bubba guy and I can find a path to him this week. I'm not a huge Jason Day guy, but uh, I can certainly find a path to him as well. I you just to look at the odds and track those with Jason Day. This, the Houston tournament isn't even over as we speak right now. He's like currently inside the top five. He's contending, at least as we're speaking. Yeah. 
and his odds have dropped from 60 to one to 33 to one. Jason Day could be lining up, even if he comes top three in Houston, to be the guy everyone goes to besides Tony Finau in this range. Let's hope that he uh, punts it on Sunday. I mean, I, I think he's a really, I mean, he's, he's so crazy, right? I mean, he could, he can withdraw. He can look great. There was uh, uh, those, the four top, the four top tens in a row at the end of last season where he was absolutely dynamite were followed up by like four tournaments where he looked brutal, right? I think he's probably one of the more volatile options. Um, I would be not at all surprised if he won the masters and not at all surprised if he was like the one guy a year who missed the cut, right? It was, it was Justin Rose last year. Sergio imploded at one point. I think we got a Paul Casey miscut at one point. Like there's always like one or two big names that fail to make the weekend. If you told me one of them was Jason Day, I'd be like, yeah, that that sounds exactly right. Uh, Adam Scott's having a rough go in the third round, losing over four strokes off the tee, and he's not even completed his round yet. That seems to be a big outlier because the approach was looking really good, and so was the driving for Adam Scott. Then they just popped in my mind. The last time that I remember rain at Augusta is when Adam Scott won in the rain. Yeah, that was a. I don't. I don't have it in front of. That was. Like what twenty? It was it was a while ago, six, seven, eight years ago, I think. Um, listen, Adam Scott is one of those guys. He's just been. It's been really hard for me to gauge him because he had a different strategy than everybody else. He returned in August for the major cold. Like he did not, and he was fine. But at the same time, it wasn't fantastic. The results have really not jumped off the page in any way. We've kind of seen that continue into Houston. So. I think if I'm going to pivot off Finau, I would go down, like I said, to Decky. Jason Day is very interesting, but as Rick talked about, to me, he's one of the most important people with ownership. If ownership masses around him, he becomes such an interesting fade because he truly has equity where he's hurt and you can take out 20% of the field just like that. So although I like him in theory, I also want to keep an eye on how popular he's going to be. Uh, Finau, like we mentioned, is a good play. It's a good price for Finau. Uh, obviously, he can play the Masters very well, even on a broken ankle. It doesn't seem to be a problem for him. So I like Tony Finau a lot. I do worry about that he's probably going to be the highest-owned player in the Millionaire Maker, uh, just with the way that the pricing ended up shaking out. Plus, he's playing all right in Houston as well, coming off of COVID at 8-8. I'll probably use a little bit of Finau, probably try to match the field. I'll probably end up playing 10 to 20 lineups. But I, I do like Adam Scott as the pivot here, and I'm definitely going to be using Matthew Wolf. I know that the driving has been abysmal the past two starts, which I don't quite understand, Rick. Like, how did this happen? How do you go from being the best guy with your driver on tour to, like, literally the worst? Uh, he's 21 years old, right? I mean, it, it's just there are, there are aspects of these guys' games that we have to remember they are very young. They are still trying to figure everything out, and consistency usually comes uh, with experience. So that's that's what's going on with Matthew Wolf. He has one of the best weapons, uh, the driver, to try to pick apart Augusta National. And I know there's a lot of hesitation uh, about debutantes, right? Guys making their first start. We know Fuzzy Zeller was the last guy to win the Masters in his first go at it. But you have to remember, I mean, he's 80... 400 500 8500 dollars uh he doesn't have to win right he makes enough birdies he's gonna have a bunch of cracks at eagles you know you talk about first timers trying to contend i mean top 10s have been possible top 15s have been possible especially with DraftKings scoring not necessarily just looking at what the leaderboard is going to wrap up with so yeah uh wolf's gonna have a, a couple of weeks he's gonna have time to fix that driver before he gets gets to augusta georgia on thursday and has to tee it up but uh I, i'm certainly with you pat I, I don't know what it is i think it's just a lot of volatile 
volatility for an inexperienced player, but he's got the skill set to light this place on fire. Yeah, I, I'm willing to embrace it. And where the driving has been so bad in his last two starts, I think that gets people off. Like, I think everyone who was planning on using Matthew Wolf will now look at Jason Day, who's playing well, and shift all of those shares onto Jason Day. Ben, he's going to end up being popular, which means full fade. I'm more on that wavelength as well. Uh, Wolf is someone I, I don't really think too much about. He's got extreme upside. I, I worry because as Rick talked about, you're going to you're gonna get some things where we're just like, how is this guy in the range with these experienced golfers when he plays like this? He doesn't belong, but he does. It's just very volatile. So I'll play some of that. I think to me, Sergio is the most interesting play. Uh, he's had so many bad putting performances. <laughs> then he held it together and he won. Off the tee is always going to be good with him. He had the blow up after the Masters win. He's kind of just sitting there at 83. I don't think he'll be too popular. I'm not saying I'm, I'm going to jam him, but I'll look to him as a, a pivot off day, similar to Decky off a of pivot of Finau. Well, this is the range that I can't figure out what to do. Like, I don't have any of these guys starred. I don't know if I want to use any of them. You got Sergio, Spieth, Ricky, and Paul Casey in the bottom of the $8,000 area. Rick, is there any one of those four players you actually like this week? Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I have a very difficult time finding a reason to get to anybody in the $8,000 range. I mentioned it earlier. We interviewed Ricky Fowler like two days ago and I, I, he didn't even really sound all that confident, you know, and where the swing was at and where the game has been. He's like, yeah, I've had a couple of good rounds this year. I'm like, dude, like, come on, like pump yourself up. You're like a couple of days away from Augusta national. Like, let's go. Like, uh, I think he's going to have a lot of fun. I, I, I think that, uh, he's going to be great, but I, I will probably avoid the bottom of this $8,000 range. Um, almost the entirety of it yeah Sergio Ben is the only one that kind of intrigues me I guess Casey does too because he's played the Masters pretty well uh we saw him contend at the PGA Championship that wasn't too long ago you know Brit if you play the Brit narrative in the soggy conditions maybe that can go a long way it's just it's hard to fit these guys in too with the way that we've been talking about building lineups it is I mean obviously they're going to be if you double jam they're going to be your third man in um balance is a little easier but it's tough. I mean, Ricky, Ricky is really struggling. Spieth is obviously has his own issues. Paul Casey's, I don't know. He's really tough to, I'm still Rick. If you ever interview him, ask him what he did on that water hazard at Memorial where he went over it and then he chipped back into the drink. Uh, <laughs> it's always something with him to me. What I really pull from this is Sergio does one thing that I'm actually confident that he will do. He drives the ball. Well, I think he will. These other guys, I can't be confident in Ricky's putting anymore. And Paul Casey's irons, yes, they're good, but it's not nearly as consistent as I would like. Yeah, so, so man, can't believe I like Sergio the best of these guys. We'll see if he ends yeah, up what making a world. We'll end up seeing if he makes the final cut. I'll talk about that on Wednesday's show in terms of DraftKings lineups. Uh, 7K range, we can just kind of pick apart what's going on here. Joaquin Neiman, obviously, at $7,400, has withdrawn. There's another Breaking news, withdraw from the Masters, guys. Angel Cabrera has a wrist injury. He is also not going to play this year. But it gets really tricky in the 7Ks because no one's really playing all that great. Maybe Lowry will end up winning and you know enhance my pocketbook in Houston, and then he'll end up being super popular. But the name that I mentioned off the hop, we talked about that distance. Someone who's been playing like sneakily pretty good recently, 7300 bucks. Cam Smith, I kind of like him. Yeah, it, it is. It is something, right? He's got a fourth place, fourth place at the Zozo, eleventh at the CJ Cup. I mean, you could almost argue very, very similar fields to what you're going to get in Augusta. Short field, obviously, it's not a guaranteed cut, but 
a lot of guys that at the bottom of it aren't necessarily going to contend. Also, also wasn't it Cam Smith who he won in Sony this year, right? I'm thinking of that's, yes. that is correct. Right. And it was, it was wet. It was nasty on the weekend. It was not uh Honolulu like we remember it to be. Uh, so this might play into his hands a bit this week. So $7,300 for Cam Smith is very interesting, Pat. I think you hit one there. 51st at the masters a year ago in 2019, other than that, fifth the year before. That was the Tony. I believe that was the Tony Finau broken ankle year. I can't quite remember at this point. I think it was. Uh, he was fifth that year, too. So he was out there in close to the final group come Sunday. So I think $7,300 is a very generous price. And mainly because I don't like anyone else here. Like, the ownership is gravitating towards one player, Ben, and it's Matthew Fitzpatrick. Pass. Yeah, Fitzy. I mean, I think people especially if it looks like it's going to be cold and wet. Like he's, he's the poster boy for that long irons, good putter, but seems to do most of his damage on Bermuda. He just rid, you know, in June and July, he was riding as hot a putter as any player will have. It was consistently five plus strokes uh, gained. Obviously that regressed and the results, he's had some miscuts, certainly in the bigger events. So, <laughs> I, Justin Rose to me is always interesting. Obviously last year that was a really bad miscut at Augusta. His game is all over the place. You've got Sunjay right there as well. Um, there are names. It's just, this is where we start to, you're not going to find guys who are playing consistently well and have great pedigree. If they, if you did, they would be 9,000. That's why we find guys sub 8K. They have either red flags or they're just not as polished a player. If we go by the stats, Rick, Jason Kokrak might be the best value in this tournament. Although he's never played the Masters before. Yeah, we go back to the first timer thing, but uh, obviously playing well at the moment. We talked about it earlier where not only does he hit it far, but he carries it. Uh, his his putter has been great in this early 2021 season. He doesn't have as, as many rounds as everybody else, but uh, he's contented a lot. Sixth place at the BMW Championship. He had a top 20 at the US Open. He won the CJ Cup, and just when I thought all of that was going to go away, I mean, he finished in the top 20 at uh, the Zozo the next week. It's hard to follow up wins, especially for a guy who doesn't win often like Jason Kokrak. So, uh, yeah, we haven't seen him in a couple of weeks. People probably forgetting how well he played. He's an even $7,000. He moves the needle. Can we spend uh, a minute on Scotty Scheffler? Because he is $7,800. He was uh, one of the hottest players before he tested positive for COVID, missed the U.S. Open. Looks like he was rounding into form with a 17th place finish last week at the Zozo. And he's kind of been brutal in Houston. He's been brutal in Houston, and after he was almost the first-round leader, it was like, hey, what the hell is yeah. going on here? Because I went and looked at the numbers, like, oh, this is all putting-based. That's not good. He basically took yeah. the Bryson approach. He was gaining a bunch off the tee and a bunch putting. That works for <laughs> Bryson, and that's basically about it. And then he fell apart the next two rounds. So I don't know what to do with him. He's also a first-timer, a debutant at Augusta National. I think I'd rather just go with Rose, as sad as that sounds, man. Yeah, it sounds sad. I'm not going to lie, but I'm with you. Uh, Usti's also there. Let's not forget about Oost, who can uh, I, come from the clouds. I have him projected at the moment to be the highest owned guy of the $7,000 range. And I'm looking back, uh, just I'm scanning Fantasy National uh, for like the course history. In the past five years, Louis has made the cut every time, but he's never finished better than 12th. I mean, it's Louis. You, you don't want to play... I might say some me chalk, but even if he's remotely popular, the upside is always capped. You don't know what you're going to get. If it looks like it's going to play, I think the harder, the better for him. It, weird conditions favor him. I have one guy in the sevens, though, that I think Cam Smith, I'm on board with for sure. 
I have one. I don't want to call him a, a dark horse. I think that Kevin Kisner with these conditions could be in a pretty good spot. Uh, good putter, good irons. If he can hold it together off the tee, obviously that's the concern. But I think he's primed for a good finish at 7,100. I just worry that he doesn't hit it far enough. Yeah. And maybe I, if I'm going to go down in this range, I'd kind of rather go out swinging with the bombers, Rick. I agree. Um, you know, Kisner's interesting. I, I do think he has a path to success. I, I think it's a very specific one, right? He's got to hold it together. Ben's absolutely right off the tee. He's got to hit his long irons really well, and he's got to gain four or five strokes on the field putting. Um, and that's something we've seen him do before. This is, this is his region, right? He's from, from Aiken, South Carolina. He went to the university of Georgia. He knows this, this area. I just think it's a very specific path to success. Um, I would rather also Pat probably consider, you know, some of the bombers, some of the, some of the other names around him well the name that kind of sticks out to me is Shane Lowry uh, I know that the Masters has never really been his jam he's missed the cut three out of four starts came 39th <laughs> and another but he's someone who gains off the tee he can gain with his irons he's a major champion uh, since we lost last saw him at Augusta the results have been pretty good recently like he keeps making cuts he played really well over in Europe I believe when you combine those two together he has like three top 20s and five starts I feel like he should be pretty good here. And the around the green game is very, very good that, you know, that's not going to hurt him. I mean, Lowry, he's interesting. I, I just, I, I get a little worried about him. Not that Augusta, I'm not saying this is going to be where it's 25 under. It's just some of the tracks that he excels at, I don't think really correlate that well um, with what we may see. So with a, with a range that you, you talked about Woodland being hurt, Cam Smith is going to be somewhat popular relative to the range. There's not a lot to like, and I get where Lowry fits. This is where, just to tie it in, Pat, I think this is where you talk about skill sets. Like, you guys are 100%. I wouldn't use Kevin Kisner with Wolf and Bryson and Champ and Kokrak. Like, I don't, I don't see that. But if you want to build a different type of team, Lowry, Kisner types, they fit with certain specific guys. Two more guys. Well, you mentioned Champ, who I think profiles really well, but I actually like him at shorter courses than longer courses. Historically, that's where his best results have come. So might be a fade on old Cam Champ. But Rick, looking at him right now, he's an old man. He did not play well in Houston in the first round, played really well in the second round and had some nice European results. He's a master's oh. guy. Can we go to Lee Westwood? Yeah, I was hoping you were going to go there. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's fine, right? I mean, not only so. First of all, he's been he's been dynamite at, at Augusta, right? I mean, I don't I, I can pull up his his course history here, but he's been he's been great. Um, uh, he he missed the cut in Houston, but if you look at his worldwide results, he's he's got like ten top thirties in a row worldwide. One of them was at the U.S. Open. He played really well. Here's his run of golf at the Masters since 2010 to most recent: second, eleventh, third, eighth, seventh, forty sixth second and 18th that is phenomenal stuff if you want experience if you want a guy who uh outside of of this week in houston has been making cuts all over the world even here uh, at the u.s open uh yes i think that lee westwood is a is a fairly good option in the low uh, 7k range i i think if he had played well in houston he would have ended up being pretty popular yeah. people are going to look at it's almost like sergio people are going to look at the score and be like nah and then guys like hideki and guys like jason day are all going to get this buzz because they play 
play well. Like, Dustin is one thing. Like, Dustin's Dustin. He's going to be popular either way. He should play well. He's the number one ranked player in the world, uh, which is kind of tricky considering he's the fifth highest-priced player in the field this week, which might actually make him, like, when you think about, like, optimal and best value, like, points per dollar salary-wise, it could be Dustin Johnson. But now people are going to be awfully Westwood. I think that's a time where I can buy here a little bit. Another guy who has an excellent Masters run. Uh, historically, if you look like past 30 years or so, Ben, what are you doing with Phil, who's going to be hitting bombs? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, nothing. I'm not doing anything of consequence with Phil. I will let other people... He's going to be gearing up for the match with, with Charles Barkley. That's <laughs> what he has to look forward to. Uh, not for me. There's too many other guys. Uh, Rick, Phil has two wins in his past three starts. <laughs> good way to frame uh, that technically true technically true which is a good way uh to be correct but unfortunately uh much different on the on the champions tour than it is here on the pga tour i mean phil's phil's like um what's uh what's that vegas vacation movie when they go to hoover dam and they're trying to plug all the leaks all over the place you put a piece of gum in there another one pops it's just he's playing whack-a-mole everything is wrong with phil's game right now the magic putter can't bail him out he is just hemorrhaging strokes off the tee he's gonna i mean i i tip my cap to him for pulling out a 47 and a half inch driver and just letting it bomb at Augusta. Like he's telling us it is because like he's going to spray it anyway. You might as well hit it as far as possible and see if you can catch lightning in a bottle for four days. But uh, Phil is uh, not good right now. Uh, the last two, I guess we should talk about guys that have played really well at Augusta over the years. Rick would be Kucher and Poulter. I guess they would fit the builds of like, yeah. if you're going to use Hatton and Fleetwood, like throw them in. <sighs> I guess so. I mean, listen, I, I, I'm a bit more optimistic on Poulter. I, I think that he can kind of, I just mentioned, catch lightning in a bottle. I think he can fire it up in big-time tournaments like this. Kuchar used to be a free space in, in these Millie Makers and major championships. When they'd lower his pricing down, he'd be like the first guy in. You'd always find a, a backdoor top 10 out of him. Uh, we're, I feel like we're, we're just a long way removed from that. I mean, he hasn't been playing well. Um, he's been playing He's been playing a bit, right? I mean, we saw him play Zozo, CJ Cup. 54th, 52nd. He made the cut at Shriners, but wasn't great. He missed the cut at the U.S. Open. I just feel like the time has passed for for Kuchar and um, sometimes not even course history can save you. And Ben, these guys are going to get ownership because they are familiar names in the lower sevens. Yeah, I mean, the the thing with Kuchar was the stability. You could go to him and confidently know he's not going to tank your lineup. You can't say that anymore. If he loses that, he loses what I think is his only like redeeming quality on the DFS side. So I, uh, I can't really go there because the stability is not there anymore. 6K right now. And Rick, this shouldn't shock you. Your guy Lonto is sub 7,000. And when I look at the ownership, he projects to be the highest guy in the 6,000. Number two, Munoz, uh, who actually do have a future on the, the most hilarious future bet of all time where they, mispriced him and they didn't cancel it so 2500 to one let's go Munoz for the win this week uh as a debut top probably not going to happen but DraftKings wise those are the two guys that people are going to it's tricky with first timers though isn't it in the 6k range uh, it certainly is but I, I mean you the, the other the alternative is uh I mean 
CT Pan, go get a past champion. Go, I mean, I, I just think that the talent level, right? So we're now in the range where pricing is so soft, and we have guys like Lonto, like Sebastian Munoz, who are sneaky playing well. I mean, their their skill set is just better than a lot of their peers. I don't necessarily care if they've played Augusta National or not. We're at that point of the pricing range. What Lonto brings is a couple of things, right? I mean, he's a great iron player. He can gain you three, four, five strokes on approach over the course of the week, and his putter can get hot. Sometimes he relies on it a bit more than I would like, but a strong iron game paired with an ability to get hot on the greens is a great combination to do what he tends to do, which is be undervalued, sneak up, grab yourself a top 10, uh, get 10 times value and, and, and take all those lineups towards, towards the top of the leaderboard. I mean, he just, you know, week in week out, uh, seems to, seems to pay for himself. I'm trying really hard because I actually like those two guys, Ben, but I don't like them at chalk ownership. The problem is when I look at the 6K range, there's no one who sticks out as like, oh, that guy's really good. The only one stats-wise who kind of correlates with all of the other players we've been talking about is actually Matt Wallace. Yeah, Matt Wallace was, it, he was on such a run and then he cooled off, but you know he's going back to Europe. He's had some results and we know that he can get it done in some strong fields. Now he was leaning on a putter pretty heavily. I did look to him. To me, in the same vein kind of as Lee Westwood is Weisberger, just does his thing. I think he can find the weekend as he usually does. Uh, and we're starting to get to the range, as Rick kind of talked about. You find the weekend, you, you outscore your placement points a little. It, it can't be that bad, sub seven. You know, these guys aren't asked to really carry the load for your team. They just need to not derail everything. Well, what's the cutoff point for you, salary-wise here? Like, there are, I want to say... Uh, and I, I hate to throw C.T. Pan, the Panimal, or Andrew Landry, or Nasty Nate Lashley, or Putnam, or Sung Kang, or Papashugo Imihara into this mix, but, like, I'm not playing any of these guys. Like, I'm trying to find the, the lowest guy I could feasibly see myself playing is probably Max Homa, and I probably don't want to play him, but he's 6,400. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, there is some, in some alternative universe, I guess I could play CH3 or Hadwin, but I there's almost nothing that could happen where I would dip lower than that. Where is it for you, Rick? Cause like Lonto at 66 does appear to be the lowest price guy. I really want to go to, but I probably pivot off of him and get to like Corey Connors at 66. I was just going to say Corey Connor. So my, the answer my, to that question for me is, is 6,600. I'm probably not going any lower than that. Um, you start to get into the past champs and guys, I really don't trust. Uh, but yeah, if, if you don't want Lonzo, Corey Connors is rounding, rounding the corner. I, I mean, he was in a really bad place in the restart. He was not looking like himself. He's starting to figure that out a little bit. Finished 17th at the Sanderson farms, hit the ball beautifully finished eighth at the Zozo. He's playing well in Houston right now. So we'll see how that goes uh, for the rest of the week. But Corey Connors is looking to try to get back on brand. And remember what Corey Connors brand is, is be good off the tee, be good on approach. And the closer you get to the hole, just be terrible. Uh, but if, if he can, you know, roll the rock field average for a round or two, he might find a way to compete. And, and Ben's absolutely right. Doesn't need to win the golf tournament. $6,600. He needs to finish. Like, I don't know. A, a T12 would be, I like sign me up for that all day long. I'll lock him in. Uh, the stats are telling me that Lucas Glover is actually the best of these guys in this range. Check the model. <laughs> Figure, <laughs> readjust everything. It's it's also telling me that Siwoo Kim Ben is a top fifteen play this week. Well, yeah, that now I, I you might have a couple uh, tweaks to make. Listen, I think it's all about 
what you, you have to define your lineups when you get down here. If you look and you say, all right, I, I love my stability. These guys are going to really, you know, median outcomes. I need some upside. I think Siwoo makes a lot of sense because we know what he can do. If you say, I have some crazy guys. I pivoted off of now. I pivoted off the chalk. I love my upside. Well, you don't want to take another wild man down here. Go with someone's stability that you think I'll, I'll take a T30 even. I'll take a T35 because I know that I if, if I hit a winner like Reed, only a couple of people are going to have a guy like that. So it doesn't really matter. You just want six of six. So it's about balancing your lineups and knowing what you need when you get down to the GPs. Molinari is playing okay in Houston. No, he's, he's actually just putting player. like a, a psycho, which is not... I'm not going to talk about Molinari, but well, you can you can handle him. Well, 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 as you just said, he's putting crazily and he sucks tee to green, which is the opposite of what he normally is. So he's basically Rick turned into Walla Wallinari. He's the opposite of what he used to be. Oh, good. Okay, I like that. Uh, yeah. So so to to add uh, numbers to this, through basically two and a half rounds of the Houston Open, he's gaining like seven strokes in the short game, and uh, basically tour average in the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Molinari going back to the scene of the crime. I can't wait for him to step up to to number twelve on 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 Thursday and and see uh, if I could get a whoop, a little heart rate monitor on that. I'd love to see it. Uh, but no, Molinari will not be touching or even sniffing any of my lineups. So who are our favorite, if we had to pick two guys from down here that are your favorite plays, I think I'm going to go with Matt Wallace and Corey Connors or EVR maybe? It would be EVR and Weisberger for me. I think I like Corey Connors and... I mean, I'm a sucker, Lonto. I will say this, Siwoo Kim, the, the 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 short game stuff is super handy around Augusta National, right? You're seeing that at Houston. You're seeing guys bleed strokes around the green, really tough shaved off areas. Siwoo and his short game is, is kind of handy around here. Yeah, and he's been really good off the tee as well. I think he hits it a lot longer than people think. Here's the problem with Corey Connors and Siwoo when we get down to it. Uh, and Connors, especially if he has a good result in Houston, that there is a guy in this range. You could just, I mean, you could combine Siwoo Kim and Corey Connors together and get the guy that no one is using and hopefully that the driver actually shows up instead of taking you know canadian Corey connors you can take korean Corey connors and take ben ann i'm a sucker for ben <laughs> I gotta, like I, this doesn't even sound all that bad to me like like okay you don't you really don't have to twist my arm on on him uh you, you, he's very on brand right we talk about that with a lot of guys sergio stays on brand uh ben on stays on 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 brand he's gonna put like a like a psychopath and try to get lucky for four days he lost from the u.s open <laughs> through the cj cup it was four events he lost 21 strokes putting that's good right that, but yeah that's like that's even luke list and Grio are like wow uh that's not good I, I that's really tough the weird thing about benny on this is the only thing i, I can say that I, I like normally when you're a horrible putter you're a terrible chipper and around the green player. He's a world-class around the green player. So he can work out of trouble. I just don't know if he can finish off the scrambles with the putt. Well, I guess if it's going to be wet, maybe it's not as firm as it normally is. I can talk myself into Ben Ann and watch him throw him in my, I can definitely throw him in my to make the cut parlays and watch him eight putt a hole like Ernie Els and, you know, destroy my week on a Thursday. It'll be fun. 
Sounds fun to me. <laughs> All right. I think that'll do it on the Pat Mayo Experience. DraftKings Masters 2020 preview. Play in the best tournament on DraftKings, the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League. Link is in the description of the video and podcast. Remember to get your membership at fantasynational.com right now. All the customizable stats you could ever want. Probably too many, to tell you the truth. There's a lot to digest in there. But the tools, the ownership projections, the simulator, the lineup generator, it's all there for you on any style of membership. Go to fantasynational.com slash mayo to get yourself a discount. Ben, what do you got coming out this week? Oh, we're going to be busy over at awesomeo.com. Obviously, a ton of articles, videos every day of the week leading up, uh, projections, the ownership, which we've talked so much about. Alex does such a great job of projecting that, our leverage tools, talk about our exposures. So if you want to come in, even just for a week, we have weekly passes. Now would be the time to do it. I can't wait. Uh, to get this Masters underway. Rick, you've officially taken my title as hardest working man in the golf space. So Golf Digest, CBS, Rick Run Good. Well, you got anything more going on? Uh, no, I think that about that's about everything. Yeah, Rick, rickrungood.com for golf data and visualizations. Uh, obviously, with CBS having the broadcasting rights, they go all in on weeks like this. It's a Super Bowl. So uh, there will be podcast first cut pod uh, after uh, every single day of the week. And then I'll be live on CBS Sports HQ, basically hour by hour doing live look ins and showing shots and talking about it for for the Masters. So it should be pretty wild. Well, let's give one more round. Let's pick a winner of the Masters before we get out of here. Ben, I'm picking Bryson. I'll take Rom. Uh, all right, Bryson, let's do it. Hey, this is not going to turn out well when Dustin Johnson <laughs> no. finally wins. Hey, no. Rory's going to win. I picked him 10 years in a row, and I'm just going <laughs> to... The betting show will be out on Monday with Jeff Feinberg. I will be hosting a live chat Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern time on Mayo Media Network YouTube channel. Please subscribe. Help us out over at Mayo Media Network. Get those subs up and please rate and review the audio podcast. If you're listening right now, anything you can share, like the episode, anything like that really does go a long way in rigging the algorithm so more people actually find the show. So please help us out over here, okay? Good luck at the Masters. we got more content coming for you. I'll see you next time. Family experience. Experience.